Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Thank you, Annie. Yeah, it's a privilege uh, to be back with you all again today. Um, this is the, f- the fourth part in our series on unmasking the church. We started um, three weeks ago. We started with the first, first one, um, which was unmasking the conflict, which was all about setting the context for 2 Corinthians and setting this backdrop against which uh, Paul wrote the letter of 2 Corinthians, which was a big conflict that arose between him and uh, the so-called super apostles, you know, false apostles that came into the church and that, base, that led away all the, the whole church to follow them instead. And the, the whole church actually rejected Paul and rejected his leadership and started to follow uh, these other apostles instead. And we, we looked at the whole story of, of how that conflict got resolved and uh, you know what happened there and the one of the main themes that came out of that was the contrast between the victory of man type of uh, you know approach and a victory of man gospel a way of of looking at the world and of um, uh, trying to come to God through, through your good works and your ability versus the victory of God and the uh, that was, that was the one conflict that we looked at. And the other one was the conflict that's between us and God. You know, how, how we in our hearts actually resist God and resist His work. So that was the first week. Then um, Henny was uh, up the next week and he preached about um, the, second, the second portion from, from the end of chapter 2 up into chapter 3 where we were looking at unmasking our values and how the things that we commend uh, reveal the things that we value and um, how the, the things that were being commended in Corinth was looking good and making a good impression and having an appearance of godliness. So, so that, that got unmasked and um, we also looked at how Jesus Christ, through us, writes a letter on our hearts to the world. Then after that, we had a bit of a detour last week and we jumped back to to chapter 1 where we were looking at the gospel and unmasking the gospel, which is comfort in suffering. And um, that was especially in the light of all the the turmoil that we've been going through in the country. So, So that was last week. This week, we come to unmasking our hearts and Paul is continuing to address the issues that, that arose from this conflict in Corinth. And this time, he's turning to the, to the message of the super apostles, you know, what, they, what they preach. And it was a, a message that was very much based on the old covenant, on keeping the law and on, you know, on, on following old covenant customs and you know, festivals and New moon festivals and Sabbaths and all of these kinds of things. And, and Paul is, is addressing this because of the weakness of the old covenant, that it, it can't change, can't really bring the change that is necessary. And he's going to show us how the new covenant is actually so much stronger, so much more glorious than the old covenant. Um, and he also, kind of behind all of this, is back at this issue of, 
of the super apostles that just keep up their appearances. And, you know, they, they have an appearance of piety while their hearts on the inside are still unchanged. So that's the background. That's what we're going to be looking at um, today. So let's get into the text first. We're going to go Second Corinthians chapter 3 and from verse 6. So it says, he who, this, this is referring to God, says in verse 5, God, God who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more what will be permanent um, have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. It's a very, very dense passage. and We're going to try and pause it out a little bit. Um, we're going to look at the contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. You see this whole passage, Paul is talking about you know, the Old Covenant is like this, and the New Covenant is like that. And we're going to try and just separate these two and show out what this contrast is. And the, we're going to look at it under three main headings. We're going to look at the historic contrast, you know, the difference between these two. Then we're going to look at the heart contrast, which is how, how the effect on our hearts is different. The effect of the old covenant versus the effect of the new covenant. And then we're going to look at the hope contrast, how there's a difference in the hope that it produces. Okay, so that's going to be our main headings. So let's start by just talking about what is a covenant, right? Um, and... I'm not going to go into so much depth. If you want to um, get a bit more detail, two weeks ago, Henny went into a lot more detail in the um, Unmasking Our Values message. So if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and uh, go listen to that. There's a lot, lot of detail and a lot of context that will also help this message to make more sense. But in essence, a covenant, I, I can simplify it to saying, there are benefits and there are terms. And a covenant between two parties, um, and they describe what are the benefits. And one way of looking at it is it's extended kinship. right? So like a marriage where you take someone who's not family and you make them family. And someone who didn't enjoy the 
benefits and the privileges of being part of your family now comes in and is made part of that family and they can now start enjoying those benefits. Because you know, there are certain things that you can, can count on as a member of your family that no one outside of that family can count on. Right? And this, that's what, what covenant does, is it actually um, extends family ties to people who weren't family before. But then with those benefits, there are also the terms, the terms of the covenant or the, the obligations of what, what you need to do um, in order to, to receive these benefits. Right? So, so those are the terms or the, the expectations of the covenant. And, and these are mutual. Right? So both, both parties in a covenant enjoy the benefits and both parties have to also live up to the terms. Okay, so, so that co- covenant in general, let's look at the old covenant. What, what was the old covenant? So in Exodus 19, we, we start reading, and um, just to, to bring you up to speed, at this point, the Israelites, they've left Egypt, they've gone through the Red Sea, and they've gone through the desert. They arrive at Mount Sinai. And now God says... Um, to Moses, I want to make a covenant with these people. And this is, this is what we read in uh, chapter 19. It says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God is giving this uh, message to, to Moses, and he's saying, please take this to the Israelites. I want to enter into a covenant with them. After this, Israelites respond and they say, yes, we want to have a covenant with God. Um, please um, go back and say to God, we want to be in covenant with him. So Moses then goes back to the, goes back to the um, mountain, he goes back to God, and it actually says in chapter 19 that Moses brought the reply of the people back to God. After this, you know, we have the chapter 20, the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments, and then we read in, in chapter 24 that uh, Moses then comes back to the people and he says, then he took the book of the covenant, so those are the terms, the, the, the terms of the covenant, and he read it in the hearing of all the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. So it's almost like a marriage negotiation that's going on here. You see, God saying to Moses, I want the covenant. Moses goes to the people and says, do you want it? After which they reply back to God, say, yes, we want it. Moses goes, he rep- yeah, and he's kind of going back and forth from the one party to the other because both parties need to agree to the, to the covenant. Right? It's kind of like an arranged marriage and there's a mediator between two families going back and forth. And so... The Israelites enter into this, this covenant with God who, 
um, and they then say, we will obey the terms of the covenant, which uh, is, is, is in, in essence, you could say, you know, the laws of God, we will obey that. The benefits is that they will be a special people for God. They will be a kingdom of priests, and God will be their God and, and will be present with them. And the Israelites agree to this, and they, they make a promise, and they say, we will obey. So, so that's the, the old covenant. So let's look, look at the new covenant, right? We're, also, we're going to contrast these two. So let's understand what the new covenant is. So we already said that Moses, ah, not Moses, Paul, writing 2 Corinthians, had Jeremiah in the back of his head. We see a few quotes and illusions um, in, in 2 Corinthians that refer back to Jeremiah. And this terminology of the new covenant is also found in Jeremiah 31. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with them on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, the, my covenant that they broke. So this, referring back to the old covenant and the, um, the making of the covenant at Sinai that we were just looking at. He says, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So there's the, the, that family marriage symbolism coming through again. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. So, God is saying this new covenant has two main elements to it. Firstly, because of the, the old covenant that the Israelites couldn't keep, I'm making a new one. And the, the first element of it is that where the old covenant was written on stone tablets, it was something that was external, this time I'm going to put it in their hearts. I'm going to put this new covenant on the inside of them and move the people from the inside out to obey them. And then the second part of it is that I will forgive their sins and their iniquities. Right, so the, the first part, the, the change of heart, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, and the, the second part, which is the forgiveness of sins, that's the work of Jesus Christ. And um, I just want to mention another place in the Bible where you can read about the new covenant being foretold, and where it's actually explained a bit better, is in Ezekiel chapter 36. And that's from verse 25 to 27. So you're welcome to go look at that yourselves. But Jesus inaugurated this new covenant. And we all read, we all know um, the Last Supper, where, which we remember every time when we take communion. We remember Jesus with his disciples um, the night before he was uh, arrested. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 22, 
verse, tw verse 20, says that after he took the, excuse me, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So Jesus is saying the new covenant is starting today and it's based on his blood. It's based on, on his death that he can extend that forgiveness to us. He, he met the obligations of the old covenant of keeping the law of God. He met that on our behalf. He lived perfect life keeping all the laws, but then he suffered the punishment for not keeping the law on our behalf so that he can extend his righteousness to us. And that, in brief, is, is the new covenant. So let's uh, contrast these, uh, these two covenants. And um, let's take it back from, from verse 6. It says, um, God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So the letter here, we saw also uh, last time, is, doesn't refer to you know, the Bible as a whole, or it, and it doesn't just refer to epistles, but it specifically refers to the, to the writing of the Old Covenant, which was written in letters on stone. And um, this, this first verse just tells us that the effect of, of the Old Covenant was that it brought death. But the effect of the New Covenant and the work of the Holy Spirit in it is that it brings life. In the next verse, we say, Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So, where the old covenant was written on letters of stone, the new covenant through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is written on our hearts. Uh, it's written, um, yeah, that's, that's the, the part that we saw in Ezekiel, but also in, in Jeremiah 31, that the Holy Spirit writes God's laws in our hearts and moves us from the inside to obey them. Whether the old covenant was a law written outside of ourselves, and this one is written on our inside. It's no longer an external standard that we're trying to live up to, but it's an internal moving of the Holy Spirit in our hearts that, that's moving us to obey God. Whether where the old covenant was the work of man, in the sense that man was required to live up to the standard to keep these laws perfectly, the new covenant is the work of the Holy Spirit that's changing us from the inside out. Right, the Old Covenant was one of obligations for us to, to keep, where the New Covenant is one that, that we are moved from the heart to obey God. So it's a, it's a complete change. Okay, let's, let's go on. There's a few more contrasts. Uh, just one slide back, please. Verse 9 says, For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. So the old covenant here says, 
was the ministry of condemnation. It was the ministry th- that the result of it ended in condemnation. See, the old covenant required righteousness, but it didn't empower us to produce the righteousness that it required. You know, the problem with the old covenant wasn't that it had uh, rules and demands and obligations. The problem is that without the help of the Holy Spirit, we can't keep the old covenant. And therefore, it, it produces condemnation. But the new covenant is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. It's based on Jesus and on His righteousness. And therefore, it produces righteousness in us. And then we also see that the, new, the old covenant was transitory in nature. Let's look at verse 10. It says that, Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, how much more will what is permanent have glory? So the old covenant is transitory in nature. It was never meant to be God's final answer to the problem of sin, and it was never meant to be the final way in which God wanted us to come to Him. It was always meant to be an interim uh, step in the process, in the big story of God's salvation. So the Old Covenant was always meant to be surpassed, and there was always going to be a new covenant, which is the lasting covenant, which is the, the God's final Um, climactic moment in the story of how he redeems and saves us, which obviously climaxed at at the death and resurrection of Jesus. So, old covenant, transient, new covenant, permanent. And then then we come to the glory, right? It says that the old covenant had glory, but the new covenant has surpassing glory. Where the old covenant... (laughs) The way I like to think about it is, you know, when you see the moon at night, full moon, it's beautiful and it's amazing. But if you see that same full moon in the daytime, it completely loses its, uh, its magnificence. You know, once, once the sun comes up, the glory of the moon is completely surpassed by the glory of the sun. And if you, if you see the moon in the daytime, it's like it almost has no glory at all. And that's the kind of difference between old and new. The old did have glory, but the new has surpassing glory. The old had glory because it revealed God's character. It revealed His holiness and His righteousness. It revealed His purposes. But it's, it's not strong enough to bring the, the salvation that we need. Right? It couldn't produce that, that righteousness and in the end, it produced death because of our, our weakness, you know, the weakness of, of human flesh. But what it, what it did is it identified our need for Jesus Christ. Right? It, it highlights that we need a Savior. So, so it identifies the, the problem of sin. So those, that's the, the historic contrast between these two covenants. So now... 
let's, let's move on to the hard contrast. Let's, let's look at how it actually produces different um, results in us. So if we go back to chapter 3, verse 14, in uh, 2 Corinthians, we read that their minds were hardened. So that phrase, their minds were hardened, hardened in that place can, can be translated in one of three ways, and all three of them would be correct. It can, hardened is correct. It could also be translated like the NIV says their minds were made dull. It could also be translated uh, blinded. And each of those three are correct and are useful actually for us to understand what the Old Covenant does. So if your mind is hardened, it means that you're, you're unresponsive. That's, and, and that corresponds to the, to the stone tablets, right? That hardness of heart and the, and the stone tablets that's got the external law that we are trying to live up to and we can't, and so we harden our hearts. Right? So, so unresponsive heart might recognize that it's got sin, but it's unwilling to change. And it's got no power to do anything about it. Then, if you look at the, the idea of me being made dull, right? to, to be dull is to be unfeeling. Right? You, you just don't have a, a heart response, an emotional response to the message or, or to what's going on around you. And you're unfeeling to the plight of the poor. You have no con- concern for justice. Um, maybe you don't even have a concern for your own salvation. So, so that's dullness. And then blindness. So it, when you're, you're blind, you've, you're unperceptive. Right? In other words, this corresponds to the image of the veil. Right? The veil that covered the people so that they couldn't see the glory of Jesus. So an unperceptive heart. That, that's blinded to who Christ is. So, so that's, a, that's, that's what the Old Covenant did to us. It had the effect of hardening uh, or dulling our minds. Um, and that, that leads to either being unresponsive, um, unfeeling, or unperceptive. So why, why do we read that, that Moses covered his, um, covered his face, veiled himself? Uh, I, one, one commentator that I read said, you know, I think this is a, a critique of the hardness of the Israelites. And I think he's, he's probably onto something. So let's, let's look a little bit more at, at the hardness that, that Moses saw and that he couldn't overcome. Yeah, in chapter 3, verse 18, just another verse, we read that, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Yeah, so I think when, when Paul was writing this, he was thinking back to an event earlier in his life where and he was remembering a man called Stephen. He was one of the deacons in the early church in Jerusalem. And when Stephen got stoned, he was the first martyr and Paul was there. He was present. And we read in Acts chapter 7 that when, when Stephen was being dragged in front of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, uh, and being accused, they looked at him and his face 
was like an angel, like his face was, was shining. And then at the end of, the, of, of that passage, we read that, that Stephen was full of the Spirit, and when they were stoning him full of the Spirit, he looked up into heaven, and he saw the glory of God. You know, he, was, he was unveiled, and he saw Jesus standing. And I think Paul was probably thinking about this, and had Stephen's message, because we read that Stephen gave a speech in front of the Sanhedrin, and I think he had that in mind. And we read in Acts 7, verse 51, where Stephen more or less concludes his message, and he says, you stiff-necked people. It's another way of saying hardened people. Uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. So Stephen is, is basically accusing the Sanhedrin and the Jewish people of resisting the Holy Spirit. Earlier in the message, he also um, says that you've refused to obey the law of God and you've rejected the Deliverer, even rejecting the Messiah uh, who you've killed. So he, he lays this out to them and they, they, when they hear it, they can't respond. They get so angry and they, they rush out, they pull, drag him out of the city and they stone him because of their hardened hearts. And Paul was there, part of the people who were stoning him. It says um, in Acts that the, the witnesses laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man called Saul. Now Saul is later called Paul. Um, he was there and it says that he was approving of them stoning Stephen. See, the hard hearts are always persecuting those who have been renewed by the Holy Spirit. And Paul, here um, in Acts, he's on the side of those that are hardened. But then, now when we read in, in 2 Corinthians, the tables have turned. And this time, Paul, you know, after meeting Christ on the road to Damascus, he's been renewed by the Spirit. He turned to the Lord, and the blindness of that veil that was over his eyes got removed. And you know, the scales fell from his eyes and he was no longer blind. And now Paul is actually experiencing exactly what Stephen experienced, where the, those who have hard hearts, in this case the super apostles, these, these other leaders that came into the church, are now persecuting him. And he had a first-hand experience of that. So Paul saw that hardness in the, in the Sanhedrin, and now he could see the same hardness in the hearts of the super apostles. Right, but let's, so that's, that's the one effect on the heart, is, is that it makes us hard. The other effect is that when we read the, the Bible with hard hearts, we can't perceive. Uh, let's quickly look again at verse 14 and 15. And it says, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. And the, the idea of reading of Scripture was a very important thing in, in the Jewish cultural context where every week the, on the Sabbath, the, the 
Jews of a community would come together and for worship, but a big part of that was actually the reading of Scripture. And Paul is saying here, even though you are continuously reading the, the Bible, and, and in their case the Old Testament, you fail to see the glory of Christ in it. Right? The, they are continuously reading Moses, which I think you could also say is a proxy of saying they were reading the Old Covenant, and failing to see the glory of the new covenant revealed in it. There's that old saying of the old covenant is the new covenant concealed, and the new covenant is the old covenant revealed. So that if with a hardened heart you read the old covenant, you can't see that in it the new covenant is actually there. But when you are unveiled, when, when one turns to the Lord and your heart is made new, and you read the Old Covenant with a, with a renewed heart, then you can see that actually all along the New Covenant was there. The symbols and the, the illusions and everything that, that was there, you know, the pictures of altars and sacrifice and these kinds of things were present in the Old Covenant were actually pointing to the New Covenant. And now looking back from a New Covenant perspective, the old covenant is actually revealed and comes to life. And you can also see the same thing of, you know, of the hardened hearts that are unable to understand the Bible in Jesus' disciples. You know, constantly Jesus is talking about himself and talking about you know, the, the, the Old Testament. And every time they f- fail to understand that actually the whole of the Old Testament is about Jesus. But then when we become unveiled, reading the Bible changes completely. Suddenly you can read the Bible and actually understand what it's about. Suddenly you can read it and actually see the glory of Jesus in it. Right? And when we first come to the Lord, it's because we grasp the gospel. But then as we go on in our discipleship and our journey with God, the gospel plays an important role in our sanctification. Because through, through reading the Bible, we can now get to know Christ. But we also get to know ourselves. Right? It's like when you're reading the Bible, it's like God through His Spirit is holding up a mirror and you see yourself. There's a saying that first you read the Bible and then the Bible reads you. And Even just just in this um, sermon series, I've experienced that where we spoke a lot about how uh, there's a valuing of appearance that is completely um, misdirected and how we shouldn't place value on appearances, but we should rather place value on the heart. And I've been confronted with how much I also value making a good appearance. And the Bible has held up its mirror to me and pointed out that, that I must stop putting so much value on a good appearance and making a good impression. So first you read the Bible, then the Bible reads you. And it reveals our sin, but it also reveals the gospel. It reveals um, the, the resources that God gives us to deal with our sins, but also to deal with everyday life. And the, it's the Holy Spirit that illuminates it for us. So that's the 
That's a contrast that we see between the old and the new covenant when it comes to our hearts and the effect that it has. So lastly, let's look at the hope contrast. So again, in uh, verse 12, chapter 3, verse 12, we read, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Such a hope, referring back to, to the glory of the new covenant. He says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So when the, when the Israelites arrived at Mount Sinai, they had gone through a lot of turmoil and a lot of suffering. They you know, come out of Egypt where they were slaves, they fled out, they were pursued by the Egyptians, they went through the Red Sea, through the desert, eventually arriving at Mount Sinai. They needed a change. They needed a fresh start and a kind of a new beginning. But unfortunately, that old covenant that they received there at Mount Sinai didn't give them the power for a lasting change. And I think this is why Moses... It, it says here he covered his face. He didn't have that boldness that Paul had because he realized that his ministry of the Old Covenant didn't give the people the power to change and to have lasting change. And throughout the Old Testament, we see this pattern of attempts at reformation, attempts at, at, at making things right, and then failure. And then they'll try again. And it's a continuous pattern of attempting to change and failing. And the new covenant um, is the, is the <laughs> contrast with, with the old covenant here that didn't give them the ability to change. The new covenant actually gives us that ability to change. Because we see here Paul is brimming with confidence. He's absolutely brimming that you know, the Holy Spirit can make a new creation out of every sinner. And that's why he says we are so bold. And throughout Exodus also we see this kind of almost a sense of melancholy that Moses had. That he tries to help the Israelites. You know, they repent and they try again and they fail again. And then he tries again, they, they repent, they fail again. And when we experience this kind of failure... Yeah, it, it, it leads to, to disappointment. We become disheartened when we just see one failure after another. And you know, it's like that, that weight that you worked so hard to lose, and then it just comes back. Or that bad habit that you're trying to shake, and you just can't. You just keep on going back to that same old bad habit. And, and, and this is the lack of hope of, of the old of the old covenant that it just doesn't give us the power to change. But contrast that with the hope that comes from one lasting change after another. You know, you change something and you move on and you go to the next thing. And, and Paul is here telling us boldly that this will be the experience of every person who has turned to Jesus through the Holy Spirit we will experience that kind of lasting change. And 
it's the whole work of the Holy Spirit through the new covenant that will take our stony hearts and change them, move us from the inside to obedience, and then bring forth life. I mean, that's glorious. I mean, isn't that glorious that, that the Holy Spirit can bring that kind of change from a heart that was hot and unfeeling to a heart that is full of life and responsive to the Word of God? I just think that is amazingly glorious. And that brings me to the veil. You know, a veil is a surprising symbol of hope. We read in, in chapter 3, verse 16, that when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. You see, a veil, by design, is never meant to be permanent. A veil can and should be removed. And that is the, the hope that we have, that when we turn to the Lord, it is the Lord who removes that veil from us. So we can be unveiled. And, and this just fills me with hope that I can change. And if I can change, then the next person can change. And this world currently is going through so much upheaval, so much turmoil. Whether you look in the northern hemisphere where climactic conditions is just there's floods and heat waves and things or here around in our country, political upheaval and turmoil. You know, our world needs change. We, we, we desperately, desperately need deep and lasting change, whether that's climate change or whether that's um, dealing with the structural inequalities that's built into our society. This message of the new covenant gives me hope that if I can change, the next person can change. And changed hearts leads to a changed world. So, so there's just so much hope that the gospel can change even the hardest hearts. So I just want to make an invitation to all of us. Remember that the letter of 2 Corinthians was written to Christians. It wasn't written to a Jewish synagogue. Right? Because we might, we might say, Neil, yeah, this is all very interesting, but th- this doesn't apply to me, right? I'm a Christian. I'm not trying to follow the law. But remember that Paul wrote this to Christians. And we should reflect on that and say, okay, so if Paul could write this to, to Christians, it means that maybe there's an area in my heart, not, perhaps not my whole life, but an area in my heart that's been hardened or dulled, where, I, where I'm resisting the Holy Spirit or an uh, area in my life where I'm refusing to obey God um, and where I'm just rejecting the deliverance that comes through Jesus. So I want to invite us to, to inspect our own hearts and say, where am I hardening myself against the work of the Holy Spirit? Where am I still holding on to this old covenant approach of good works and doing the right thing and keeping up a, a nice appearance. Let's, in, let's inspect our own hearts. So if you, if you realize today you need change, or if you know of someone who needs change, I want to invite you to, to really turn to the Lord. And just there where you are at home, whether you're alone or with someone else, to pray and and to repent and say, Lord, I'm turning to you. Please unveil me. Holy Spirit, 
please come and change this hard heart. I've been, I've been just looking at these laws written on tablets of stone. Please come and write your law in my heart. Come move me from the inside to obey you. And um, you can pray by yourself or if there's someone else there, maybe you can pray with them, whether it's a friend or a family member. And let's really in our hearts turn to the Lord and ask Him to, to unveil us, to remove our hard hearts. So let's pray. Wow. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the new covenant. Thank you, Lord, that you, you came and you dealt with the problem of the old covenant that, that re- revealed our sin but didn't give us the power to be free from our sins. Thank you, Jesus, that in your blood you brought us a new covenant. Lord, and that's such good news. Lord, we just thank you and worship you for the new covenant that you brought. And we, Lord, we are amazed at the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I want to pray that for everyone listening today, that you will do the work of the new covenant in us through your Spirit. Lord, that you will highlight to us through the reading of Scripture, through our conversations with one another, fellowship with fellow believers. Lord, that you will highlight to us the areas in our heart that's been hardened where we are resisting you and refusing to obey. Lord, and help us to bring that to you. Lord, and to bring change. Lord, and I, Lord, and I pray for, for us as a, as a church, but, but also for the world more widely, Lord, that we will experience the change that only the gospel can bring. Lord, and that we will, that we will see the, the fruit and the effect of change hearts in our world. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.